fiat money is like this dark magic. Right? It, it distorts all those magical properties of money, which allows for this immense coordination across billions of people in the world without ever having to talk to one another. And fiat money destroys this and Bitcoin fixes it. Hello there from Mars. How are you all? How are you all doing? How mad was yesterday? What a crazy day. Twitter was literally on fire all day after Alison Becker nutted in a 95th minute winner for Liverpool against West Brom. Liverpool are definitely going to make the Champions League. And Tottenham aren't, which is going to be another good season. Anyway, welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Gemini, the only place I'm using for buying Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack, and today I've got an amazing interview with Bitcoin writer Thomas Strolight. But before that, I do have a message from my show sponsors. Okay, today we're going to kick off with Gemini, my new exchange sponsor, who I'm using for buying and selling Bitcoin. And while some of you suckers out there are selling, I'm not. I'm only buying. I'm buying the dips, and I'm using the Gemini app. I've also set up my DCA with twice monthly buys of Bitcoin, and I've yet to see a better interface for this. Now, I do want to give a massive shout out to Cameron and Tyler for supporting the show. I've been super impressed with how much they want to support Bitcoin, and I've loved working with the company. But if you want to check out Gemini, please head over to Gemini.com, which is G-E-M-I-N-I.com. Also, next up, we have Ledger, the world's most popular hardware wallet. Now, a hardware wallet allows you to take custody of your Bitcoin. And I have been a Ledger customer since early 2017. And I'm still using the same Nano S I bought back then. Ledger makes it easy for you to safely manage your Bitcoin using their Ledger Live software, which interfaces directly with your device. And if you're an Android user, you can connect your Nano S to that phone to safely manage your Bitcoin on the go. If you want to find out more, head over to ledger.com, which is L-E-D-G-E-R.com. And also, we need to talk about BlockFi, the future of Bitcoin and financial services, offering a number of products for Bitcoiners. Now, with a BlockFi interest account, you can earn yield on your Bitcoin. Now, I have been a customer of theirs, using their interest accounts for nearly two years, and I love letting my Bitcoin work for me. Also, with a Bitcoin back loan, you can borrow against your Bitcoin without selling. And you can now register for a BlockFi credit card, which launches imminently, offering 1.5% rewards back in SAT on all card purchases. If you're interested in checking BlockFi out, I recommend you do your own research and then head over to BlockFi.com, which is B-L-O-C-K-F-I.com. Okay, so onto the show today, and I have Bitcoin author Toma Strolite on. Toma has written a bunch of amazing articles on Medium, and they're pretty short, in the two to four minute range. And they are written in an easily understandable way, so they've become an absolute go-to for me. This kind of aligns with me as I'm always asking people to explain these complex topics in a way that's easier to understand. So I knew I had to get Tome on the show to go through some of his articles. He covers so many topics from why choose Bitcoin to why Bitcoin is the world's most inclusive institution. And they are definitely worth a read and I've put some links to them in the show notes. In this one we get into the magical properties of Bitcoin and why you should care about it and a few other bits. Now, I know you're going to love this, but as ever, if you want to reach out to me, if you've got any questions, my email address is hello at whatbitcointid.com. I do reply to every email. I've had a lot today, so I'm going to have to spend some time getting through them, but I appreciate your feedback. So if you do have some and you want to reach out to me, please do. Okay, over to Toma. I hope you enjoy this one. Toma, how are you, man? I'm great, Peter. How are you? I'm doing very well. It's, uh, it's great to get you finally on the podcast uh, we connected over Telegram, as I remember it. That's right, yeah. Yeah, man. You're a prolific writer. Yeah, I, I, I used to write a lot uh, in, when I was in business. And, uh, and then I stopped writing for quite a time as I was doing a, a number of other things. But uh, I've written a lot lately in the last month, month and a half or so. I decided to write about Bitcoin and I couldn't st- start and I couldn't stop. Is it, are you uh, full-time on Bitcoin now or is- you yeah. working outside of this? Really, um, you know, it's funny. Even when I was working full-time, I was kind of distracted full-time by Bitcoin for about eight years. But I, uh, when the COVID crisis hit, the company I was involved with uh, was really badly impacted. And I, I left at that point in time. And so uh, since uh, it's been a little bit over a year since I've had a salaried job, and I really focused on my, uh, on my, on my enthusiasm for Bitcoin lately, uh, through through this time, and have started uh, sharing my knowledge, writing about it, trying to offer perspectives to newcomers and experienced people. And so I'm full-time in Bitcoin. 
That's quite a lifestyle change though, right? Getting away from the full-time yeah. job and waking oh, yeah. up and choosing to do what you want to do. Yeah. You know, you know I, I think for me, it, this was very much a, what do you call it? A blessing in disguise. I've never been a great investor. You know, I, I, was, <laughs> I was a really big Apple like fanatic. Me. And uh, like the day, the day that the iPhone was released, I think that was back in 2003, I called up my broker and I said, put $50,000 into Apple, which was a huge amount of money for me. And, uh, and so my broker did, and then he proceeded, and it went up 10% that day, and it was going up really fast. And he proceeded to eventually talk me out of my Apple investment before I'd even doubled my money. Oh, and, no. Uh, yeah, well, you know, like, so yeah, I, I'd be a multimillionaire if I had kept that investment. But this, this past year... Uh, I'd had my conviction in Bitcoin for a long time, and I had put some money into it. Uh, but when I, when Michael Saylor came on the scene, and he, he basically said, "This is what what happened to me is exactly what advisors do. That is advice you should reject. Uh, you should find your conviction in something and hold on to it, and put your full time into it." And I was able to do that because I wasn't I wasn't distracted by a job, and so I'm not complaining in the least. I got to focus on what I love, and uh, and I'm able to do it. So, well, Michael terrific. Saylor is responsible for a lot. <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm uh, much I'm more irresponsibly long than I would be if it wasn't for that guy. <laughs> right, right. Uh, yeah, you're, you're extremely irresponsibly long. Yeah, extremely. Good for you. Yeah, good for you. Uh, We've all taken a loan here or there. Dude, I'm not a good investor. I've made right. one, I've made two good investments in, in my life. Uh, one is Bitcoin and two is uh, just working hard in myself. Right. Like, I, I'm a crappy investor. Whenever I've tried to invest in stocks, I've been that guy who's controlled by the fear and greed. So I FOMO in and I FOMO out, and I'm always, I was always doing it wrong, always losing money. Mm -hmm. it's, yeah. uh, it's, it's so nice to have an, uh, uh, something you can invest in where you just leave it forever. Yeah. Yeah. I, I completely agree. Uh, this for me has been the, the peace of mind that I have around Bitcoin because I've got so much conviction and belief in it and I understand it so well, lets me focus on things like writing uh, rather than worrying about what my stock portfolio is doing on any given day. But I'm not an investor either. I've, I've worked all my life and I had some money saved up and, uh, and I cared about that money and I worried about it a lot. And that's kind of reflected in some of what these writings that I've written are, are about. Well, what is your background, though? Because I don't know your background. Sure. Um, so, I, uh, so I'm 51 years old. I started working in uh, about 1994, 1995, which was just when the internet was getting started, right? Like, my career started before Netscape, the, f the first IPO.com company, uh, had even released their product. I wanted to do things in the computer digital space, which at the time was CD-ROMs. So I, I got involved with a startup, which was kind of ahead of the startups to put a magazine on a CD-ROM. And that made some progress, but ultimately the entrepreneur behind it wanted to go a different way than I did. So I ended up finding myself working for Canada's largest newspaper company, helped them launch their website because then the internet had started to get going. And I spent about 16 years at that company doing various things, almost all digital, but I got to know the newspaper side of the business too. And it was predominantly a newspaper company I ended up running their digital division as its president for seven years from 2005 to 2012. We had a lot of successful business units that we had developed or acquired in there. Uh, and then I left, I left there uh, at 2000, in 2012 because a new CEO had come in and we just didn't see eye to eye about where the future was headed. And I did a variety of things afterwards, but I, I, I learned about Bitcoin in 2013 I was one of those people that read the white paper the first time, fell in love. I knew there was something extraordinary going on there. I found a way to get my hands on a handful of Bitcoin. I lost a bunch of them, <laughs> tried to get a, a few back. Oh. So I like a very common story. But since, since April 2013 or May 2013, I've been obsessed with Bitcoin. I mean, my, people would just joke that the only thing I'd say is Bitcoin, Bitcoin, Bitcoin. And I've studied it, you know, extensively and discussed it extensively and tried to talk to all my friends about it. But um, I, I'm, I'm just a real student of Bitcoin and I try to think as hard as I can about it. And this writing has helped me think about uh, different aspects of it too because I, I set out to try to say original things about Bitcoin, not to just rehash things that had been said about it before. Well, you are prolific. Was it like 35... Oh. 
Is it thirty-five uh, pieces you've written now? You know, I think, know what? I think it's twi- I think it's twenty-five. I, I may have 25? I may have typed the three beside the two by mistake, but I think oh, it's right. only twenty-five articles. Ben told well, you got to do another ten now. I, I thought Ben told me it was thirty-five. <laughs> uh, I've written I've written a few more. I, I think I think that's what I typed uh, in my email to him. So none of us. No, you see what happened was he he trusted instead of verified. There you go. There you go, man. We're gonna have to have a word with Ben. <laughs> uh, but they, but but yeah. t- tell me about your approach to writing because uh, there's the breed love way of writing where I yeah. feel like I need to book a week out of my diary, right. sit down and study every word and every sentence. And then yeah. your form of writing is almost like the opposite. Is I think it's a lot more accessible, which is no criticism of breed love because he knows I love yeah. it. But yours are like shorter, easier. Sure. Yeah. So I. I um, I set I set my goal on this series, the the Why Bitcoin series. I set my goal that no article would be more than four minutes, and that almost all of them would just be three minutes, because um, that's been a strength of mine, which is just to go in, get the essentials of the idea, and edit it viciously to the point where it is just three minutes. And the the idea for this series was I had a lot to say about Bitcoin. Maybe I had 35 articles worth to say. I certainly, I've written 25 plus th- that are published and there's another one that remains unpublished yet. And um, what I was trying to do was just like Bitcoin such a complicated and multifaceted thing. So I wanted to just focus on like one facet at a time that I could communicate about in just two to three minutes, in a way that wasn't technical, and so that it wouldn't overwhelm people who didn't understand the math or the computer science behind Bitcoin, but still make a, a profound point. Uh, one of these really important points that we see about Bitcoin, it's, it, you know, it's permissionlessness, or it's trustlessness, or how good it is as money, or why it's so important, or why so many people love Bitcoin. So every one of these articles is just like a simple snapshot of something with one key lesson. And they're all linked and interlinked to each other so that people can take more time. But they're all also really short. And that's, um, I think, you know, I I can write tweets. They're really short. But if you want to get across a bigger idea and find people's time, three minutes was the real challenge. And I will say, I love Robert Breedlove's writing. He has such a unique style and he's so thorough and detailed. But I, I agree with you. It is when I'm ready to read one of Robert's pieces, I set aside some time and I get myself a coffee and I, and I, and I go deep in this. And th- so th- this is more like snacks, but I, don't, I, like, I do want to say I worked really hard to make sure that they were nutritional snacks. Right? This isn't, uh, this isn't sh- just plain sugar. There's, there's some um, good insights in each and every one of the articles. Well, the, the one that captured me, the first one I read, was the one uh, regarding why it takes time and is it time and energy to create bitcoin yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but i remember it because i clicked through and i was like and i read it in about two or three minutes as you said and i was like oh shit well that was great but, but the thing that really stood out for me in that particular piece is why the creation of uh white case uh, why it requires time and energy is that it actually it actually explains why money has to be fair Right. And if you don't have time and energy going into the creation of money, then actually it becomes a very unfair system and actually benefits the rich over over the poorer yeah. people in society. And, and it, it yeah. hadn't clicked to me in that way before. Yeah. Well, that's 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 what that's what I set out to try to do in this series, right? That I that I could be writing to people who were brand new to Bitcoin, but also to people like you and even people like Robert. You know, he I think he he liked some of these articles and shared some of them too, which is here's just a different glance at this one thing. Like we all focus on, oh, Bitcoin requires all this energy and all this energy comes across. And Gigi wrote a beautiful piece about how Bitcoin is time and it's also really complicated and psychedelic and amazing. But I just wanted to get to the simple point here, which is like, you have to put in time and energy to earn your money. So how is it going to be fair money if the people who make it don't have to put time and energy into it too? And that's the, that's the essence of the idea. Bitcoin requires that people who make it have to put in time and energy too. So that makes it fair to people who are going to put in time and energy to earn money. And I go into more details on it in the article, but as you said, it's only two to three minutes of a read, so it's not like it doesn't get complicated and doesn't get technical. It just, it just is that one well, really important point. 
Well, let's dig into it. I mean, I'm going to share your articles into the show notes, so everyone should go and read. Um, well, I'll share your Medium post, and then I'll share specifically the two or three that I've read. But let's let's dig into this. Why it's why it's ultimately the fairest way to create money, right? right. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, so so there's the first piece of justice, which is just if you're if you're going to have to put in time and energy, it's not fair that somebody else doesn't have to put in time and energy, right? It equalizes uh, it equalizes the money, and when we have when we compare it to fiat money, which doesn't require time and energy, right? Instantly, with no energy, uh, trillions of dollars of it can be whipped up overnight, that ends up being this very unfair money. It ends up going to the hand, first directly into the hands of the people who are closest to the money spigot. It ends up being used for political sway. So it ends up being given unearned, you know, to people who haven't worked hard for it, who haven't put in time into it, by people who haven't put in time or energy into it. And so there isn't the appreciation or the respect for what it means to put in work, to put in time and energy into something. And so it really subverts the very essence of what money is, which is it's I do I do the things that I'm best at in the world. I dedicate my energy and my time to them and I trade them ideally with other people who've given the best that they have to give. But if the money doesn't take their time and work, if there's people walking around with money that they got handed to them or they printed out of no, out of nowhere, they don't have a respect for the work that I've had to put into my into my money, and and so that becomes a very very unfair unfair system. And I'm not speaking just directly personally. I think of everybody in the world who has to work uh, and ultimately trade, and you know their dollars are indistinguishable from the dollars that other people didn't have to work for. And uh, and so that's just a that's a very inherently unfair system. I don't even know that I need to say that much more about it. Right. The, the, well, I was going to say it's a little bit deeper than that, though, because there is people do get money uh, without putting time and energy themselves in, but in a fair way. So, for example, if I hand money to my children, mm. uh, they get and, and you know if I turn around and give my son a thousand pound for whatever, he hasn't put, yeah. had to put time and energy into that. But but that doesn't matter because it's the money itself started out as having one person put time and energy into it. What we're saying here is the creation of new money, which doesn't have time and energy behind it, right. because it does two things: it, it creates an unfair system, but actually, it also uh, it also can put a pressure on me to have to put more time and energy in to create to mm -hmm. create money of lesser value. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think that this is this kind of this fundamental issue, right? Like, if everybody has to put time and energy into the money that they have, including the people who create it then everyone's going to have judgment about those dollars, right? They're going to they're gonna value those dollars generally equally. Right? They're, they're, they're going to know that they have to work for it. And, and if, if there are people who can create the money without any work, you know, like if, if, you were, if you were someone who could create a trillion dollars out of nowhere, you might give your son a trillion dollars for him not to work either. But if you actually have to work for it, it's going to be, you're going to think about a thousand pounds because... It, it really is worth a thousand pounds to you. It, a trillion dollars is not worth anything to Janet Yellen or, or Powell or any of these people. Like it literally is just, a, it's like me sending you an email, right? It, it, it's unlimited and, and it doesn't take a lot of work. And so that's, I think that's, a, that's this distinction that half of us are walking around. I don't know what the precise quantity is, but some of us are walking around with money that we had to work really hard for and other people are creating money that they don't have to work hard for, and they're really distorting this this balance. Right? It's it's very imbalanced. Yeah, I've just got, I just got off an interview with Nick Bartio, and I, I mentioned to him that uh, I keep bringing up Breedlove, but he's just full of gems. But the tweet that stood out to me recently, and I'd never thought a bit thought about it like that, is that the money printer is essentially legal counterfeiting. Yeah. You and I, if we if we try to counterfeit money, you try and counterfeit the Canadian dollar. If I try and counterfeit the British pound, mm -hmm. we get arrested mm -hmm. and we go to prison, mm -hmm. and we do it. We go because it's unfair. Because it's unfair yeah. for us to be able to create uh, print our own legal tender. But he said, right. uh, government money printing is legal counterfeiting, and I, it never crossed my mind. But it was a real kind of wow moment. Well, so let me say this, Peter. 
I have I have one unpublished article in the series, which will be published by the time Ooh. by the time uh, this podcast airs, and it's going to be I, all of these articles are being taken together and putting being put into one ebook by the guys at Swan Bitcoin. Um, it's it's going to be at Swan Bitcoin slash Why Bitcoin Swanbitcoin slash Why Bitcoin. Does that mean Guy Guy Swan's going to narrate them all as well? Um, well, it's a, no, Guy Swan is with two ends, and I hope that someday he narrates them. I really do, but I haven't connected with him. Oh, that. you should. He narrates everyone's work. Yeah, no, I, I didn't mean because it was. A... He, he, he did tell me that he hadn't gotten around to reading them. Yet. He was waiting for me to finish writing them, so I, I can tell him that I'm done writing. But this um, this new article of mine, which 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 references this concept that you had about uh, counterfeit, is called "Why Bitcoin Will End the Worst Heist in History," and wow. it's a, it's a little bit longer than the others, but it actually it's, it begins with uh, asking the reader to imagine a cool idea for a a movie uh, in which there are criminals who can have a time travel machine and can travel f- from the past into the present and steal people's money and take it with them back to the past. And the only way that you know that you've been robbed is because you're born, like you don't know because you don't see the time travel, but you're born and suddenly you're born owing money for something that you never agreed to. And that, of course, is exactly what federal debts and deficits are. Everybody is, you know, that money is being stolen from the future using this time machine of fiat money deficit spending. And, uh, and it's the greatest theft in history. I have a, I have a you know, I, I give a lot of blame to Nixon for what he did in 1971 in this article. And, I, you know, his famous quote is, I am not a crook, but I say in the article, he's actually the greatest crook that ever lived. You should hold up his fingers and, and say that because he... People being born today are still paying for the money that he stole from them before they were ever born. And he died in 96 or something. So this, this notion of this time-traveling, uh, money-stealing machine is what fiat has, has really allowed for. And so that's kind of a, it's a bit of a different article than the other ones that, I, that I've written. It's a little bit longer. I think it might be seven minutes in, in duration. But it's all, it also still uses kind of that easy language and... And I, I, I was really, you know, I was really passionate at the time that I wrote it. I want to say kind of angry because when you realize just how much is being taken and how much distortion there is and, and how, if I, if I go back to the other article we talked about, about how so many of us are putting in all of our time and all of our energy and we're not getting a fair shake out of the system. We're, we're born owing money already. Yeah. Sounds like quite a punchy article. Mm-hmm. The greatest yeah, crook that ever lived. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and he he spawned he spawned a generation or two generations of crooks, right? Like we now have every day government deficit spending, which is borrowing money that the politicians. I, I basically say, like, if you borrow money from somebody with no intention to ever pay it back, that's a crime called fraud. If you borrow money and sign somebody else's name to the loan to the loan agreement, who doesn't even exist yet, right? Who isn't even born yet? That's a serious case of fraud too, and that's exactly that's exactly what this deficit spending is, which uh, Nick Badia quite rightly likens to counterfeit as well. I think I think that's a that's a good comparison too, and so is this comparison to f- fraudulent borrowing because if you if, you got to pay back your loans. And if you can't pay them back or if you saddle some other people with your loans, that's a crime unless you're the, the government. But the, gov- but the government is doing it for our benefit, right? It's not their benefit. Yeah, I, I think, you know, I, I also ask in this article, you know, like, why doesn't anybody get arrested for this? Why, like, and it turns out, well, everybody who's supposed, to do, who's supposed to be implementing justice in our civilization is getting paid with this time travel of stolen money as well. So we, it's just become part of it. And, uh, and there are other articles I have in the series that also just talk about how terrible this really is because it forces, like, when they say it's for our own good, what are they saying? They're saying the economy needs to be stimulated, right? Like, let's be real clear. And, and what they're saying is we don't like the amount of consumption that you people have freely chosen to consume. We need more consumption, right? And so, like, if, if a month goes by and we don't consume more than we did the month before, they start to panic. And if six months go by, they call it a recession and they force us to consume. So it's terrible for the environment and it's terrible for, it's terrible for our psyche that our savings are destroyed. Our, what we try to save for the future 
now must be consumed now, you know, must be consumed now because they're going to destroy the value of the savings. It's bad for the environment because we're consuming things we don't need to consume. So it's just this kind of endless bad cycle that we're on because of this focus on growth. And, and gro the growth is just, it's a number, it's not actual growth, right? Like if we can produce more GDP, if we can produce more food and shelter and all these things that we need at a lower price, that, that shows up as negative growth um, for, for these bankers. And they only want positive growth. So that's what, that's a big part of the problem, well, which is why we need Bitcoin. I yeah, I mean, I think um, that's why we choose Bitcoin, right? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but but uh, I think it's part of it is to do with the flawed cycle of politics that incentivize kicking the can down the road. Um, mm -hmm. You know, yeah. politicians' ultimate goal is to retain power or retain power for their party. Um, mm -hmm. And retaining power, just to retain power, you're not incentivized to uh, take the pain of uh, economic boom and bust. Uh, well, right. let's say bust, uh, the, the cycles. So it's kick the can down the road or we'll print more yeah. money. I mean, even even Republicans, let's say at the US, who are, uh, who are traditionally more conservative economically, you know, there was massive amounts of stimulus being printed by the Trump totally. regime at the end. And I think they will all continue to do this because we we there is no incentive for them. Yeah, well, the problem is there's, the reason there's no incentive for them is actually because the incentive system is backwards because the fiat system exists. Right? Like mm. the, Before the fiat system existed, they couldn't just borrow indefinitely, infinitely. They can with the fiat system. And that's, that's, that's why the system is broken. That's why we need to really let, that system, let the sun set on that system. It's it's not going to survive for very much longer, I don't think. And when it's when the sun sets and a Bitcoin standard replaces it, uh, we'll still have politicians, we'll still have governments, we'll still want to have some kind of social programs, and some people will still be prepared to pay some amount of taxes. But it's not this notion of whatever politicians want to promise in the short term, and who cares what the costs are in the long term, that becomes that remains possible. It will not be possible under a sound money standard. And so that's what that's one of the things Bitcoin really fixes. I have one article called Why Bitcoin's the Best Way to Save Money. And it's a play on words because the trick isn't, it's just about saving money in a bank so that you can save it for longer. It's about like money is in danger. Money is going to die if we keep the fiat system going. Bitcoin actually saves the very concept of money itself, which is so critical to human flourishing and civilization. So that's quite interesting because that sounds like you're not an anarchist yourself. I'm not. Uh, and that's mm. that concept, the concept of under a yeah. sound money system. I, I, I still believe we will have some forms of centralized gov governance. Yeah. I, I assume it will be government because I do think there's certain things that should be centralized. Um, right. Very small things, but uh, I got dragged down that rabbit hole by somebody introducing me to the idea of uh, uh, the minarchism. I'm not fully there yet, but... Yeah. but uh, I'm not an anarchist myself, but it, I do like this concept that when these centralized forms of governance have, uh, um, they have the responsibility, well, they don't have access to the money printer. They therefore become a service provider uh, mm -hmm. to us as as people. And, you know, we pay that through us, you know, through some form of tax, maybe a much lower tax than we have now. Right. But it sounds like you're you're not an anarchist. I I struggle a lot with the philosophy of of government. I um, mm -hmm. I, st I studied the philosophy of Ayn Rand a lot, uh, objectivism, and she was a minarchist at, uh, for many, for many years before I'd even heard of Bitcoin. And I I think it's a really tough topic because I, if if the world wasn't as complicated as it is, like with militarily, if there weren't aircraft carriers and jet fighters and atomic weapons, I think some form of organized anarchy, which which is just like landowner, people who own things and work for things, having a code where they would protect each other, right? Where they would, if someone came in and acted in a thieving style, then they would collectively uh, respond to that. And I think that would work pretty well. But then we get to, you know, these... Like the, the, we can't have just you and me as a militia 
operate a nuclear aircraft character, carrier or a nuclear submarine or develop nuclear weapons or all of these really complicated things uh, that do exist and you can't make them go away. So we need, we need, a, we need a military. We, and and what, what else we start to describe from what we need from government becomes really touchy. So I'm, I'm listening very much and I'm trying to think very hard to both the anarchist and minarchist uh, positions. And I think at some point they actually, it's just a fine line between what, what constitutes uh, the government. But the, the problem with having one entity that has the monopoly on violence, which is what the government is, the monopoly on force, is it's a double-edged sword, right? Like if you don't have one, then you have chaos in violence <laughs> and you don't have retaliatory violence. But if you do have it, you have a monopoly on violence which can be exploited. And so it, it, remains a, it really remains a problem. I, I think, um, you know, to tie it back to the role of Bitcoin, it's if the money, if everyone agrees that the money is Bitcoin and we don't let the entity with the monopoly on violence replace it with fraudulent money, with counterfeit money, to use the term you brought up before, then that government is limited into what it can do. And if that money is unseizable, it can't use force to seize the money. So it's more limited in the kinds of immoral things it can do. So I, I would love to have a small government not uh, uh, imposing taxation at whim, but doing it on the basis of having to be decent managers of the things that must be managed by government and leaving everything else to the free markets. And, uh, and obviously having a sound money so that none of these shenanigans are incentivized or allowed. And you know, if, if we didn't have the fiat money system, people, would, people wouldn't be engaged in all of these activities that are so counterproductive that are only possible under that system. They wouldn't use their creativity to figure out how to cheat a system that's cheatable. They would use their creativity to be productive. And that would, that would be a much better civilization right there. Yeah, and the transition to that Bitcoin standard uh, it, it's going to be something very interesting to watch because um, you and I believe that with smaller government, with no control over the money, therefore limited scope for coercion and violence will lead to a more productive society and hopefully geopolitically a safer world in some ways. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, at, but at the same time, that transition uh, may lead to violence and coercion on Bitcoiners as governments start to struggle to tax Bitcoiners or, mm -hmm. or, or have a form of money whereby, whereby they can do you know, coercive things. So that transitionary yeah. period will be super interesting, whether we see fight back from government or we, we just, or this kind of Bitcoin standard is just inevitable and something that can't be stopped. Right, right. Yeah, I, I try to be the optimist on these things. And yeah. it's not to say that I don't think that there will be no violence or that there won't be unfortunate circumstances. But uh, Nick Carter, a couple of years ago, wrote an article, a really beautiful article. Silent called Revolution? Uh, a most peaceful revo revolution, peaceful I think. Re is, peaceful is what, yeah, Sorry, peaceful yeah. revolution. And that really got me thinking uh, again about Bitcoin to say, you know what, like there's actually, there's so many checks and balances or counter all these counter forces inside of Bitcoin that if one government locally tries to ban it, well, the rest of the governments in the world aren't cooperating. So Bitcoin continues to thrive and people can move their Bitcoins and they can hide their Bitcoins if, if in their geography. Um, there's a moment of time when Bitcoin is, is being overly regulated or, you know, or, or pursued, persecuted. So I think that there's a lot of really positive things that that suggests that we should be able to get through this thing through a proper transition without blood in the streets, right? Without terrible things happening. Nobody knows for sure, uh, but I remain pr pretty optimistic about what Bitcoin can do. Well, the one area where I think we might not be able to uh, avoid that is that we, we have a world now where in most countries, I think there is an expectation to have some form of uh, so social safety net or access to socialized services. Um, and you tend to see revolutions 
happen when uh, there was a breakdown in access to health or education, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. So mm-hmm. I've talked about it a few times on the podcast. I was in Chile last year. Uh, yeah. There were riots on the streets, and that was due to a, a breakdown in a couple of things. The, the pension system changed, uh, yeah. and that was seen as a, a, essentially a corrupt decision with the government. And so I went out there, and I spent time interviewing and talking to people, and most of the complaints were as access to uh, health and education. And we don't have a big red button, but migrating away from systems where we have socialized services such as right. uh, health and education moving to a system where essentially it's uh, socialized services have to be replaced by voluntary uh, voluntary mm-hmm. uh, contributions to help others you could see revolutions you could see people who are outside yeah. of the bitcoin system uh, uh, you, i guess you could see a rise in in, in socialist protests um I- I think that that's really interesting, Peter. I I think that there's a couple of things that we look that have become sort of completely taken over by government that aren't necessarily uh, traditional functions of government. Like healthcare and education aren't necessarily government functions. They're not like the military, the protection of the nation. Um, And there's been so much, uh, in part because of the COVID lockdown situation, but there's been so much advancement in how we can provide some of these services that there's really a lot of room to deliver them at a far different cost with a far different infrastructure, which it's really hard to do when they are monopolized by government. So like how many mm-hmm. people are educating themselves now? And the whole idea of education being, you know, only the first 22 years or 18 years of your life, and then you theoretically have everything you need to know to get out into the real world for the next 60 years of your life. That's a really flawed conception of how education is going to work. And there's so much education that's available for free right now. So I, I, like, I don't think education is going to be the thing that breaks the back of a revolution because we can get so much education so inexpensively, well, superficially no, over the internet. Sorry to interrupt. Not, yeah. as an ind- not an individual element, but I think collectively we're conditioned now to believing certain things are provided by government. You know, and, and, and Bitcoiners don't. I know Bitcoiners, like, I, a lot of them, mm-hmm. like, I want to educate my own children. Healthcare mm-hmm. shouldn't yeah. be free. Um, you know, there shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't have a welfare state, blah, blah, yada, yada. Yeah. I'm saying it, it, the collective breakdown in services being provided to the people who, like the yeah. social safety net, the collective yeah. breakdown of it all, that transition away from that, I could see it sparking a different type of revolution. Yeah, I'm just I'm trying to play a little bit of the devil's yeah. advocate with you too. Like I think we've seen we we have seen technology replace certain things that they were either provided by other industries or by government, and it just kind of it quietly disappears into the background. Like you know we we've had the we've had like private telephone companies for for example, but they were very heavily regulated. They were essentially licensed by the government, so they were. Mm-hmm. There were, there were government entities, and as the internet came out, and now now you know, we're talking, we're having a telephone call, but we're not having it over a telephone line. You and I, right now, we're having it over the internet, over all these platforms. Mm-hmm. There's so many different platforms that substitute and replace telephony um, that we don't really care about the government's regulation of these things anymore. And it's not like people are having a socialist revolution saying, we don't have telephones, right? It's telecommunications an essential service. We need the government to provide it because we have so much free substitutes. And so I think I'm proposing that something like education can actually find so many good, free, desirable substitutes that people won't have, they won't have a bloody revolution over the fact that they aren't getting government education. Healthcare, maybe a slightly different thing, the access to certain types of uh, treatments that you can't get more, more easily, things that require surgery, for example. Those are, those are trickier topics, I agree. But there's, yeah. a lot, there's a lot of technology that's getting a lot better to make a lot of things that we used to rely on government for not, just not expensive. So that's another yeah. positive. Yeah, look, look, I, I, I want to be optimist, an optimist like yourself. I, I'm just trying... I try and think through all these scenarios. How that, like, I'm sure. most interested in. It's like if we if we hyper Bitcoinize and we move to a Bitcoin standard. How is the transition? What does it look like? Because it it is a very different world that we live in on a Bitcoin standard yeah. that people predict. And I think certain parts of it certainly feel a lot better. I think, as I said, I think geopolitically it makes us a lot safer. I'm not sure of how. I'm not sure in the short term if it makes us safer 
on a local mm-hmm. level because <clears throat> a transitional period of uh, switch swapping between one currency and another, you know, volatility in the breakdown of currencies, um, that, that can have uh, and could have negative yeah. consequences in the short term. Yes, like if you were rebuilding a society, you know, if we were to buy ourselves an island and build a citadel and right. rebuild it with a sound money, of course, yeah. I think it, it would be it would be better and different. But right. I just try and think it through. Yeah, I, listen, I, I'm not gonna um, I'm not gonna pretend if we have an end to the fiat system and replaced with a Bitcoin system, we will see the collapse of things that don't make sense under a Bitcoin system and only exist as kind of this um, artifact of of the fiat system, which is a lot of government jobs or, or a, and a lot of what we call bullshit jobs, I guess. Hmm. Like there, there's a lot of stuff where people aren't necessarily working. And the, the trick is to get people's perspectives to change. Like we also all have this idea in our head that we have to work five days a week from nine to five at some location. And I think a lot of those assumptions have been revisited in, in part because of the pandemic reaction. And mm-hmm. so... I think people are able to say, you know what, like, let's use all the productivity tools that we have in our civilization. Like, let's meet, let's meet over video conferencing rather than have me drive to the office and drive and drive back. And so everyone can live where they want. They they don't have to spend hours commuting. They can connect, in fact, asynchronously even. And the more we start to, the more these things start to become ubiquitous and kind of invisible, the less attached we are to the old way of things that were that were artifacts of the fiat age so sometimes so we just end up looking back and saying well we don't really need that thing anymore and nobody's re- nobody really needs to fight uh in the streets over like, we we need cheap mass transportation during like during massive rush hour because nobody's rushing anywhere anymore they, they just need to go and open up their laptop computer somewhere Next up, I talk to Toma more about the magical properties of Bitcoin. But before that, I do have a message from my amazing show sponsors. Okay, let's kick off with Exodus Wallet, who I am using as my mobile and desktop wallet for my Bitcoin. Now, someone recently asked me how I'm using Exodus. Now, I get a lot of complaints from my accountant. She's always moaning at me. Pete, who are you sending Bitcoin to? Who are you receiving it from? What is it for? And I used to never keep records. Bit of a nightmare, really. But with Exodus, I am able to use their advanced feature for adding notes. So at the end of the month, and she's like, Pete, tell me who you receive Bitcoin from. Who is it going to? I can give her the records because I'm increasingly using Bitcoin to manage my business. I'm actually hoping at some point to go Bitcoin only. Trying to time that up. There's a lot of complexities around that, but hopefully I can do it. And I will definitely be using Exodus when I do. Now, if you want to check out Exodus, please head over to exodus.com or search for Exodus in the Google or Apple app stores. And that is E X O D U S. Next up, we definitely need to talk about Casa, which is the very best in Bitcoin security. Now, listen, it's been a big year. I know some of you are sat on a decent stack of Bitcoin. And if you aren't custodying it, or if you have it all in a single wallet, it's probably time to consider Casa. Now, listen, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, do I need this? Isn't this going to be a pain to set up? Maybe some of you are thinking, what the hell is a multi-sig wallet? I've got no idea what you're on about, Pete. I had all the same questions. But honestly, it could not be easier to set up, and you get so much peace of mind when you have it. Now, a multi-sig wallet allows you to custody your Bitcoin, but only move Bitcoin by signing transactions from multiple wallets ones which you distribute into different locations. And this is going to protect you from a range of errors, mistakes, and vulnerabilities. If you want to find out more, you can email me or drop me a DM on Twitter, and I will get back to you. There is no better time to upgrade your Bitcoin security. And if you want to find out more, head over to keys.casa, which is K-E-Y-S dot C-A-S-A. And lastly, today is sportsbet.io, and I was on the phone to them today planning the big giveaway which is happening in Miami, planning the Lambo giveaway. It's coming, it's happening, but there is going to be an extra spin to this giveaway. And I'm going to tell you that every one of you, every Bitcoiner is going to love this. Even you Lambo haters are going to love it. Now, Sportsbet.io have been working hard to spread the message of Bitcoin. They are the front of shirt sponsor for Southampton, but also the bidding partner of Arsenal. If you're seeing the Bitcoin logo while watching Premier League football, you can thank Sportsbet.io. Now, with Sportsbet.io, you have every market you could possibly be interested in. They cover football, tennis, American sports, motorsports. They even cover esports. And for new customers, they always have a range of promotions available. So if you want to find out more, please head over to Sportsbet.io forward slash promotions, which is S-P-O-R-T-S. 
bet.io forward slash promotions. I'm going to do like a bit of a switch on subjects now because yeah. I want to refer to another one of your articles, the the why choose Bitcoin. Sure. Um, it's, it, it feels like it's a good starting point because, I, again, I was talking to Nick. I, I really hate the question, what is Bitcoin? Because mm-hmm. it's a really difficult question to answer simply. Mm-hmm. Um, you, go, you can go down multiple rabbit holes. But I guess if you, I guess you could flip it when people say, what is Bitcoin? And actually say, it's not about what it is, it's why you should choose it. Yeah. It makes it a little bit easier to onboard people into Bitcoin. Is that something mm-hmm. you found? Like, was that a response to people yeah. asking you? Yeah, so it's funny. My, my series is sandwiched by two articles. The first one that I wrote was called Why Choose Bitcoin? And the last one I wrote was Why Bitcoin Exists? And they're both, and they're both short. And um, why choose Bitcoin? So I, I, I was going to write this article series, you know, I, I was in, I, I had announced it in a couple of these Telegram groups that I was in, and I got back tons of suggestions for titles. There were like 160 suggestions. I think I just got from Robert Breedlove's Patreon group members. And, uh, and so I sat down to start writing on some of these titles, and I just didn't have, they didn't resonate. They didn't have that clever insight that I wanted to have in these articles. And so I went to sleep that night, and I ended up waking up at like 3 a.m. in the morning. This, I, this Why Choose Bitcoin article had come to me in my sleep. And, and the, the whole point I realized is Bitcoin's better money because, and it continues to become better money because you have to choose it. It has to earn your choice. And not just yours, Peter, but like every single person in the world who uses Bitcoin has chosen it. So it has to win the choice of everybody, you know, everybody who's going to be in this economy. And that means it has to be really good. It has to be better than everything else. And so that's why Bitcoiners work. Like that was the brilliance of Satoshi's original invention. It was so much better than everything else. And all the effort and energy that goes into keeping it decentralized and making improvements in it, it's all about continuing to earn people's choice. And so in the article, I compare it to fiat money that is, you know, it's forced down your throat. You're told by law at the point of a gun. So how is that? How is someone pointing a gun at you going to give you a better solution than someone saying, here, what do I do to make it better? Right? So fiat money has no hope to win against, uh, against Bitcoin in that regard. And gold, well, gold can't get better. It just, like, it's, it's a basic element. So it can't, it, can't improve. it can't improve. Bitcoin continually improves. And it even imp- the more people that use it, the more, it, the more it improves naturally. So why choose Bitcoin? Because it needs to earn your choice. And when you realize that, you can see why it's going to succeed in, in the long term in earnings people's choice. That's a really interesting concept as well. That's not something I've ever considered before, that Bitcoin is a form of money that improves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. like quite interesting. Like gold, gold is what it is. It's, you know, it's a right. shiny rock. Um, yeah. It's hard to transport, hard to send um, yeah. You, you, all you can really do with it is is somehow cut it into smaller pieces and 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 give it to people. Melt it and, back. Then. Yeah. Yeah. Melt it back. Uh, and fiat money just gets worse. <laughs> well, right. no. Look, actually, to be fair, fiat money improves in certain ways, and it has done in terms of you know, as it became digitized, it improved. Mm-hmm. It became easier mm-hmm. to spend and use. But 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 ultimately, it's a right. in the end, <laughs> we don't want a form of money that uh, it becomes debased. But Bitcoin is a, a form of money that improves it improves as more people adopt it and it improves as the technology around it improves yeah that's a really yeah. interesting concept yeah I, I also point out that one of the, one of its features is that it's not easy to change right like so if bitcoin improves which means it changes but it doesn't just change willy-nilly right it there's this mm. whole consensus mechanism behind it anyone can veto I can choose not to participate or not to use any of the changes in it. So that's it's one of these great one of these great features that Bitcoin developed to earn your choice is that it's hard to change. <laughs> so uh, it's it, there's there's like a, there's a lot of devil in the details around Bitcoin, which I think so many of the people who criticize Bitcoin they just haven't looked at these details. They don't appreciate them. And you know, I, I hope that I've managed to swing a few people's opinions around by getting them to fo- to see some of these facets of Bitcoin that, that are not obvious at all. Well, making it hard to change is a feature. Um, and, you know, I know a bunch of the shitcoiners will talk about Bitcoin in terms of like, you know, they use things like, oh, it's the MySpace, you know, or it's, yeah. you know, it's slow. Or like they, they come out with these criticisms, but actually Bitcoin needs to do 
one thing very well, which right. is um, uh, be secure and uh, yeah. av- avoid attack. And, yeah. um, and, the, and, and then it needs to be easy to send to each other, which it pretty much is. Like making it hard to change it, it ensures that the changes that are added at a protocol level are important, are needed, are required. We don't get right. some just superfluous like scope creep for the sake yeah. of it. Yeah, well, it, Bitcoin makes these hard, hard promises uh, about like the money supply and about mm. the permissionless use and the censorship resistance and all of these things. And, and that's it's, and the, those are inviolable promises which the community will not let anyone modify and, and break those promises. Yeah, it's also really interesting when you say like, we, we have this fiat money forced on us. So we have this crap form of money forced on us. Uh, yeah. And with Bitcoin, you know, it's, it's our freedom to use it. But the gatekeepers of fiat money want to make it as difficult as possible for us to use Bitcoin. Right, right. Yeah, I, I think that they, you know, they're not, they don't even understand what Bitcoin is. I, I've had the opportunity to try to teach a course to, uh, to CEOs and board of directors and heads of business units of financial institutions. It's going back a few years when I had the opportunity to do that. And some were curious. Most, they had a very fixed worldview. And, and so to them, the curiosity wasn't there. Certainly the desire to put the understanding into, or the energy into understanding what Bitcoin is, uh, wasn't there. And they were looking for the easy way out. Like I had the head of Visa for one of Canada's banks uh, immediately walk into the class and say, you know what, I'm not allowed to sell it anyways because I need to do KYC AML on people. So this whole thing's irrelevant. I said, well, you know, you can do KYC and sell it to them at that, at that point which floored him, but he was, he was just so hostile to the idea that um, it was hopeless. So, I, and they're scared, right? They're like, the banks generally don't want people losing all their money. This is something the banks don't understand. So they think it's about losing all your money. And there's so much garbage in the space, right? Which isn't Bitcoin, in which people will lose all their money. So, so it's kind of, you know, Bitcoin's down, it's right down the middle. It's taking the high road on both sides of these things. It's not a scam, which is which so many of these altcoins are, all of them in my opinion. And it and it's not the socialized money that's forced down your throat, which is what fiat is. So it really is the high ground. And people who work in one side or the other have a hard time seeing that. Well, it's a funny thing because the banks are worried about us losing our money. They're worried about fraud. Um, we, they're worried about where we invest our money. I mean, I've seen recently banks are not allowing people to not just not send their money to Bitcoin exchanges, but they're not allowing them to send their money to invest in Bitcoin companies, which it, to me is you know, just an atrocious abuse of power. Yet us as Bitcoiners, we come, we, we, we're much better at the banks than protecting our own money, generally speaking. I know some people aren't, but like if you get your shit together, you're very good at protecting your money. Um, uh, you, you secure it, you, you store it as securely as possible, and you, you're very considerate every time you spend a mm-hmm. bit of Bitcoin. Um, right. And it's, it's, a, it's a real interesting contradiction because, like, we're like cool. Yeah. We're happy to protect, we're happy to manage our own money, and they're trying yes. to prevent us from doing that. Well, there's a, there's a big definitional problem. We call Bitcoin money. They call dollars money. They don't think Bitcoin is money. So when you say, oh, I can protect my money, I can protect my Bitcoin. They're like, you're protecting some bizarre, made-up, fake, worthless, rat poison. Tulips. Yeah, t- tulip thing. So that's not, that's not money. And so we use the word money, and they use the word money to describe two very, very different things. Or we accept into the concept of money an idea that they haven't accepted yet. So they're, pr- they're protecting us from making this terrible mistake of trading our money for tulips, uh, for magic mm. beans. And, and that, that, that is where they're internal justification comes from. Well, I, Not I, so much. I, want, I want to finish today on another one of your articles. Um, yeah. And we could, have, we could have covered a lot of them, but I will encourage people actually to go and read them because I think you deserve, deserve that. But um, I, I love the title of this, like why Bitcoin is the most important thing happening in the yeah. world. And it's yeah. a really interesting thing because people outside of Bitcoin don't realize that. You try to explain it to them. Like I said to my friends, mm-hmm. the most important thing you need to be doing now is you need to be like reading about Bitcoin. Listen to my podcast, yeah. study Bitcoin, buy some Bitcoin. They yeah. don't get it. Yet us on the inside, we know. Yeah. Uh, this is, a, you know, this article came late in my writing. 
it was always inside of me, but I think I was I was shy to say I think Bitcoin's the most important thing in the world. Like how how <laughs> what chutzpah I have, and like what gall I have to make such a statement when there's so many important things happening in the world. Uh, to say Bitcoin's the most important thing happening in the world, I, I was inspired to write this one. I had a some, some uh, Google employees invite me to do a lunch and learn about Bitcoin in part because I was writing this article series. And so they, they ended up with a few questions. And the first question they said is, let's talk about why Bitcoin is important. And so I, I paused to think for a minute. And I said, well, I actually think it's the most important thing that's happening in the world right now because it fixes so many of the things that are broken. Like money is such an important thing to human beings. It's such an important thing to human civilization. Civilization only exists because we have money and a strong civilization only exists when we have a sound money and having an unsound money. So I said money has this magical property of coordinating all this human activity so that you know you and I can walk into a store, we can see something and with a little bit of money, we can get it. And that thing had to be manufactured, it had to be engineered, it had to be shipped, it had to be stocked, it had to be priced. And we don't have to worry about all the people who were involved in any of that. Our, our money buys it. So that's the beauty of money. It's magic. And then I talk about fiat money is like this dark magic, right? It, it distorts all those magical properties of money, which, al which allows for this immense coordination across billions of people in the world without ever having to talk to one another about anything. And just what we demand gets produced and what gets produced, we can, we can choose how much money we want to pay for it. And fiat money destroys this. And Bitcoin fixes it. So like we get our time preference under our control. We allocate resources according to how, what we actually need as human beings rather than what is popular or what is the whim of government. It saves us from anxiety. Uh, it moderates our short-term consumption. And so I, you know, I, I think Bitcoin is going to rescue civilization and the environment and all these other things. And so all those things are important. And Bitcoin's the most important because it fixes all of them. Because it allows for, it pushes it pushes us more towards an open and free market. Yeah, I I, I think it it has. There's even more to it. Like you know the, that article, I was <laughs> I was really moved. Michael Saylor shared that, that article uh, in the quote, and 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 his quote tweet was something like, "Bitcoin is a moral, uh, technical, and economic imperative." I probably memorized this because. It's the only time he's ever retweeted anything of mine. But it's, it's kind of like on all those things, right? It's, it's a moral imperative, right? It fixes all these problems of ethics in our civilization. It's a technical imperative because it's required. And, and, you know, for people who've listened to Michael talk, it fixes so much about the monetary energy of, of, the, of, of the world's economy, right? And, and that makes it an economic imperative too. It fixes, it fixes a broken economy. So there's all these details, right? And that's why Bitcoin isn't just this math-based money. It's something that's so much bigger. It really is a fix for everything that's broken in our civilization in a way that's consistent with all this technological advancement we've had in our civilization over the last 20, 25 years where microcomputing and interconnectivity, like net internetworking, is ubiquitous. And so let's have something that, that works for forever now uh, that, that takes so, advantage of that. So do you, do you think Bitcoin ultimately, what it does is it fixes or prevents uh, the bad incentives that are temptations to humans? Yes. You know, I have article, an article on inclusivity and it basically says, you know, human beings are, are, human beings are flawed. We, we're, yeah. we're, we're prejudiced, right? So how does Bitcoin fix the fact that human beings are flawed, it takes human beings out of the equation, right? Now, there's, there's no human being who says you can't use Bitcoin. Anyone who can come up with a big random number can use Bitcoin, which, which, is, which is everybody. Bitcoin removes the ability and incentive for politicians to print more money. It just, it takes, there's, my, my favorite article in the series is why Bitcoin is like nothing you've ever seen before. And it, and it really talks about how Bitcoin doesn't have so many things in it. And by removing all of those things, it becomes inviolate. It becomes incorruptible. It becomes invulnerable. And it just doesn't have these things that are all the vulnerabilities of other systems. So if we can bring Bitcoin into the world in a bigger way, we will have a reliable civilization that can't be corrupted by human flaws. And we, we took the human well, the, weakness out of the system. 
Well, there's two sides to that. So there's there's that side that you've talked about with regards to politicians and the incentives of printing money. But there's a flip side to that as well. It kind of, it can force us to fix some of our own flaws mm-hmm. in terms of our own thinking, our own yeah. consumption, our own yeah. saving. I mean, it certainly had that impact on me just, just by the nature of you become... Like I, I'll spend Bitcoin. I'm not a hodler for life. I've talked about it plenty of times. I will spend Bitcoin, and I am. T- my goal is to balance how much time I have with how much Bitcoin to maximize my enjoyment out of life yeah. and uh, set up my children as best possible without uh, yeah. giving them too much. Right. So it's yeah. a balance. I, I, you know, I'm not somebody who has a huge amount of Bitcoin, but I, I wouldn't want to die with tens of millions of Bitcoin right. unspent. I would want to have spent that either, either on you know, positive projects for other people or buying stupid cars or anything I want to do. It's like that balance. But, but the last three years for me after I got wrecked has been about reestablishing my financial base. Mm-hmm. And now I consider, I do consider every purchase. So I think it, it, it doesn't just fix yeah. the way the free market works. It doesn't just fix politicians, but it fixes you yourself. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's one, um, there's, there's one really, uh, almost purely emotional article in my series called why we need Bitcoin, which really, it it says like, you're, you're an amazing person to every reader of it, right? You're, you're an incredible thing. You're only going to happen once in the history of the universe. And in order to be your best self, you need to know that your energy is not going to be stolen from you so that you can plan for the entirety of, of your life. And that's why we need sound money and that's why we need Bitcoin. Um, so I, I, compl- I, I not only agree with you, I, I think these magical effects of, that Bitcoin has on people, which is to, let, to remove the anxiety that they w- don't know where their money is going to come from 10 years from now or even a year from now, to have stability in that so that they can focus on their long-term and become who they are. I guess, you know, for me, if, if we're kind of wrapping up, I always deep down inside wanted to be a writer, uh, but I, I was on the treadmill uh, trying to earn money that I could spend before it, you know, before it all got inflated away or my investment advisor wrecked me on, on something. And now I have Bitcoin and now I have a vision into the future with conviction and certainty. And so I can dedicate my time to what I love, which is writing about Bitcoin. <laughs> So it's interesting you say magic. I just looked up that. I just wanted to get that Arthur C. Clarke quote. Any mm. sufficiently advanced technology is indis- yeah. indistinguishable from magic. magic. So I guess that yeah. resonates with you. Absolutely. No, I, I've wondered so much about uh, how, <laughs> just how smart Satoshi was, how creative Satoshi was, um, how inventive uh, the, the whole thing leading up to Bitcoin was. But the 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 launch of it, creating the secret identity so that he could disappear when the time came to do that. It just is, there's so many magical things in the history and story of Bitcoin. So I've written my first piece of fiction as well, which is about Satoshi. <laughs> so, oh. um, so it's going to be published in Citadel 21 magazine on May the 21st, which is probably a, a few days nice. after this gets released. And, and it's, a, it's a short story called Satoshi and Me. And it's sci-fi fan fiction, Bitcoin porn. I, like, I don't, I don't really know what else to, what else to call, <laughs> to call it. Uh, but when it comes out, it's, and it's, it, and it, I wrote it to express um, the heroic achievements and the, the appreciation for the heroic achievements that went into the creation of Bitcoin and that Satoshi himself must have come up with. Like, I know we just passed the 10th anniversary of his disappearance and you had that, you had Pete Rizzo on your show and he wrote wrote that great article that talked about Satoshi the human. This is like, this for me is like an artwork to say, to paint Satoshi as a hero, as a tremendous hero. And And given that Satoshi never benefited from spending the coins, never benefited from the fame. Like he doesn't walk down the street and people give him high fives and say, great job, Satoshi. Whatever, whoever Satoshi was, if they still are, um, they, they did away with that. So, so this, art, this story also imagines giving them the satisfaction of the appreciation for what they came up with in, in, a, in a relationship between the protagonist of the story and Satoshi Nakamoto. So. Wow. Well, I look forward to reading that. Yeah. Well, listen, man, listen, I really appreciate your work. 
uh, it's stuff that I will happily send to my friends. I right. think you break Bitcoin down into really easy, digestible, small lessons yeah, that really just tick you over. So I'm going to share it all out in the show notes. I recommend everyone goes to your Medium page and, and has a... It won't take them too long, but digest, uh, digest your work. And I just wish you the best luck for the future. Yeah, thank um, you very much. And... I, I think I assume you've got a book in you. I don't know if you're thinking about that. I mean, maybe it's a collection of short yeah. Bitcoin stories, but yeah, I, uh, there's a bunch of different writing I'm doing. I'm trying to do. I'm trying to do some thought pieces around how Bitcoin is evolving, which are longer. I do want to write a novel. There's a novel in me someday, which will involve Bitcoin in it, uh, but it'll also be a long-term science fiction novel, and. Uh, and I think I might, I'll be turning this, uh, this collection of stories into a book. And like I said, there, there'll be an ebook available for download. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when, there is one right now as your podcast airs. So well, uh, tell people where to go, though. Where, okay, so, where do they so, find? So they, you, can find, you can find my articles on Medium at tomerstrolight.medium.com. Uh, the ebook is going to be on Swan Bitcoin. So swanbitcoin.com slash whybitcoin. And on Twitter, I, I tweet a fair bit, so you can find me at, at Tomer Strolite. I also have a, a small podcast, which, uh, which I do with uh, a guy who's been on your show, Keith Levine. Uh, and, uh, and another. You do a show with Keith Levine? Yeah. How do I not know that? Yeah. Well, I love it, Keith. So, so the show is called For the Love of Bitcoin. And it just is, there's a bunch of us who love Bitcoin. There's a third host on it who's, uh, who's Bitcoin Mechanic, who's the guy who released the, uh, the Taproot Activation client that's, uh, that's not core, that's based on core. And so it's just the three of us trying every week to get together and talk about what's happening in Bitcoin, why we, why we love what's going on or why we're frustrated with certain things that are going on. And it's a very, it's a very hardcore, deep down the rabbit hole uh, podcast. And it, it, we've only Amazing. just gotten started. So that's for the love of Bitcoin. Well, give it a listen. I'll check it. that out. I, okay. I love Keith. I love yeah, Keith. So I think he's I. great. I he's absolutely awesome, man. love him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, brilliant. Look, all the best with this. It's yeah, great to you. get you on. Um, yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, hope, ho- hopefully at some point we'll get to hang out. Um, yeah. Uh, I know you've got, Canada isn't um, uh, the best place to, to try and get to at the moment, but at some point in the future, hopefully we can hang out. That'd be amazing. When, you, when you're in Canada, or if I'm, <laughs> if I'm in Bedford, I will uh, let's look <laughs> each other up. All right, my man. But listen, take care, Stoma. Thank you. All right. Did you like that? What do you think of Toma? Do you know Toma? Definitely go and check him out. And go and check out his articles. They're so easy to digest. You can go and share them out with your friends if you just want to give them a nice little introduction to Bitcoin. I really enjoyed the chat with him. He's also shared a new article he's working on. So I'm going to definitely get it back on the show to discuss that because it's a banger. But he breaks things down in a really nice, concise way and keeps things super interesting. And there's so much good stuff being written about in Bitcoin. But as these topics get deep and complex, they tend to have quite heavy articles that can take a lot of work to understand. I love how Tomer approaches his writing. It's really valuable. Obviously, you need both. But I love that I can just sit down and with just a few minutes, I can digest something and I can learn something from him. So I appreciate the work, Tomer. Massive thanks to you for coming on the show and all the work you're putting into your writing. I hope you enjoyed this one. Look, if you have any questions, you know you can reach out to me. My email address is hello at whatbitcoindid.com or you can jump into my Telegram group. Also, just a big thanks to everyone who supports the show. I've got so much feedback and support recently. It's been amazing. I really do appreciate it. Looking forward to seeing a bunch of you in Miami, and we can all have a beer. Now, if you do want to support the show, you can go and leave me a review up on Apple Podcasts. Hopefully, you think the show deserves five stars. Hopefully. If not, well, I'll just have to deal with that. Anyway, looking forward to Miami. I'm nearly done it here in El Salvador. I'm going to be heading over to Guatemala soon. I'm going to be hooking up with some Bitcoiners there, find out what's going on in that scene. But I hope you have a great week and I'll see you all soon.